This week on Kettle of Fish, comedian Lisa Best stops by to talk about rogue olives and discarded pianos. Welcome to our after show. We call Kettle of Fish the No Politics Laughter Show. It's time for Kettle of Fish. No debates, hate, or arguments allowed on Kettle of Fish. It's like a Willy Wonka psychedelic acid trip. So hooray for Kettle of Fish. Alrighty, welcome to Kettle of Fish, the show after the show, the talk after the talk, the 30-minute comedy money shot after the one hour of political foreplay. Fern, D, both of you guys are with us. How do we decompress after the Margot Kidder interview? Because I'm still bouncing off the walls. Uh, well, I, I think it'll be easy because we've got Lisa Best and she's super funny. So, yeah, we can just try really hard not to think about fracking and earthquakes and the orange hamster man in the Oval Office right now. You know, we get so <laughs> caught up, we never tell people where they can find our stuff. If you want to listen to our show we just did, The Funny Thing About Politics, you can go to, hit it, Fern. TinCan.media, not .com, not .org, TinCan.media. And I'm going to tell you guys, I'm just going to ride this high. I'm going to carry it right on through. I don't want to decompress, man. I want to just ride this high straight on through with Lisa because she is awesome. Love her comedy. Fair enough. Let's get her in here. Lisa Best, how you doing? Hey, everybody. I'm good. Right on. Um, before we jump into your new comedy album, I believe I saw pictures of you out at the Women's March. Am I correct, Amundo? Yes. Oh, my God. It was so much fun. Like, I, I don't know if marches are supposed to be fun. Like, you know, they're very, like, empowering. But I had a, I had a very good time. Everyone was so just inspirational. And it was so nice to be around people that are feeling the same sort of emptiness <laughs> that you're feeling. And to just be like, oh, I'm not the only one who's depressed every day now. This was great. <laughs> yeah. You're, we're all in this together. So what was your takeaway from the march? Because I know people were like, and I put a post up the other day, and I was like, define irony. A bunch of people bitching that they don't understand why women marched while simultaneously complaining they didn't tidy up afterwards. And it's like these, <laughs> these people that are bitching about it just do not get it, right? Yeah. Well, okay. My biggest takeaway from the march, uh, personally, was that you know you can do a march wrong. I didn't know that, but you could do it wrong. I did it wrong at first because after about the first fifteen minutes, I realized I was in the porta potty line, and I was like, "Oh man, oh man, really? <laughs> this protest, this protest is smelly." Because like what happened was I was supposed to go and take the train to the march. But the train was like slammed, like there was no room. You couldn't get in there, which is good because that, that meant so many people were going. So then I was like, oh, OK, I can't take a train. So I guess I'll take an Uber. And I took an Uber at that time. I didn't know that Uber, that I didn't know they're evil. So I took an Uber and then and then my Uber driver was Russian. And I thought that was really funny. And I looked at it and his name was Vladimir P. Oh, my God. Like, I was like, could it be like in like the most amazing like homeland esque plot twist? Like Vladimir Putin gets Trump elected so that he can march as one with women and queers. Like that was his whole plan all along. So that was really fun. And then he dropped me off like in the middle of the march. Like it was, I didn't know 
like what the beginning was and what the end was. So I just sort of like cut through to the mid. I think I cut, like I cut the line. It was really, it was really funny. And then I didn't have a sign or anything like that. And I felt really embarrassed because everyone had these cool signs. You should have just wrote on your hand with mascara. And be like, this is my first march and raise your hand up like that. Apparently. But it was really funny because I was looking around at everybody's signs and I realized like, oh, you can really like learn about people's pasts through their style you really get their whole biography i'm like okay she had an abortion she's gay she uses humor as a defense mechanism (laughs) it was really funny and then i tried to chant and i like um i learned that i'm really bad at chanting like i can't do it like in like a sing-songy way and everyone was so good at it and i was very intimidated like you know because they like the first like one person says like a question and then everybody answers it in the march and they were all really good at it and they'd be like you know like tell me what democracy looks like and i'd be like well yeah, i mean this is what democracy looks like and then, but everyone else would like do it with such authority it was really funny i just i'm not i'm not great at it but it was really fun well we'll That's just get that because now people people will look at the protest Sorry, people look at the protest as a form of people watching. Like people watching is always fun, but if you go to a protest, like that's like the ultimate people watching venue, right? Like that's Absolutely. that's amazing. I never thought about it from that perspective. That's pretty cool. And also, it's sort of like all of the people that are most upset about what's happening and feel the need to protest also happen to be the most polite people on the planet like the only thing you could hear at this march was like chanting rhyming and just women apologizing like just like accidentally bumping into each other and be like i'm sorry no i'm sorry and people were apologizing for apologizing they'd be like oh don't don't apologize but like, you're right i'm sorry like it was just like just the nicest group of people it was so funny and that's what I was telling you, Fern. I was like, you know, they're they're uh, complaining about the tidying up afterwards. But if it wasn't that, it'd be like, look at those women with those open-toed shoes, you know, in January. Yeah. How dare them? They would have found something to be irate and outraged about. I didn't even yeah. realize that that, was a, that that was a big thing, that they were complaining about it being messy. What about, like, messing up the world? <laughs> complaining about that, like... I'd rather some signs on the street than just like wars and angry citizens. I don't know. This whole thing is very, it's very weird. Doesn't it feel like we're living what we've read about in history books? And it's like, oh, this is the live show. We caught the live show. (laughs) This is happening now. Yeah, we're definitely in it. It's like they used to say like in Nam, like, were you in the shit? Like, we're in the shit now, Lisa. Yeah, it's real weird. We're all going to have PTSD in 20 years from this shit. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to because I've never really been um, political, like even, you know, in my comedy, I like to talk about I like to be pretty silly and just talk about things that make me laugh. I've never really thought of politics as something that I would ever want to talk about, Um, but it's just so hard not to like right now just because it's just such a just such a thing that's like going on right now and everyone is just has this like level of anxiety and it's hard not to talk about what people are thinking about 
And that's a great segue because that's one of the points I wanted to make with you this episode. You're the only comedian we've ever had on this show that doesn't have some kind of bit during their act about politics. Your show has no politics in it. And I was just wondering if yeah. that was by design or if it was something you, up until now you just didn't kind of pay attention to. And I guess you just weren't really active in it, huh? Yeah, I mean, it's just not something I really felt like I had a right to talk about just because it's not something that I'm, you know, I mean, I, I have a basic level of knowledge, but nothing, you know, just like I don't feel like I need to chip into a surgeon doing a gallbladder procedure. It's like, oh, you can handle it. Like, I'll just stand here in the back. Like, I'm just not somebody that really had confidence in in me having much to say. And I think I kind of always thought about politics as just like, Sitting in the sitting in the backseat of a family road trip, you know, like all I need are like my Cheetos and my Mad Libs. Like Dad's driving, take a nap, you know. Like I never needed to like worry because I felt like we all like we were going somewhere, and I just trusted we were going to get there. And now I feel like you know, like an actual Cheeto has taken the wheel, and I feel like I need to uh -huh. sit in the front seat and like be alert and aware i need to have a compass and a map i need to pay attention otherwise like our cheeto is going to pick up a man with a bloody knife and a swastika like i just feel like i have to pay attention now just and that's good I, i'm glad you're yeah. active like so many are hey fern we're doing a lousy job of making this the no politic laughter show huh yeah, and I want I want in on that too on the Cheeto thing and the and the and the Trump thing because I feel like this women's march has been downplayed and I I take big offense to this and I take big offense because you know I'm a champion for equality I'm a champion for same sex marriage I'm a champion for you know cutting the bullshit with racism and you know. I have fought for things that don't affect me, and this is the definition of privilege, right? It's when you deny that something exists because it doesn't personally affect you. Well, to me, these men are coming out and saying, oh, well, that's a cute little protest. It's much ado about nothing. Well, that's dick privilege, okay? You don't have to walk down the street worried you're going to get attacked with your keys between your fingers. You don't get attacked at a bar. You don't have to worry about these things, not getting paid the same as a man, not getting promotion, asked if your tits are real by coworkers and bosses. Like, I've experienced all of this. So until you experience mm -hmm. it, don't say it doesn't exist. Now, there's a lot of men who supported these women, and I want to recognize them because it's not all men. I'm not like a man-hating male basher. But just take yourself outside of the box a little bit and understand what it must be like because even though we've come far, we're still not there. And just because other women have it worse in other countries, which I feel for, doesn't mean that we still don't have it bad here. So get outside your privilege, understand what it is. doesn't mean you have to be ashamed to be a man. It just means that you have to understand what a woman goes through. And it is important to talk about, even on a non-political show. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. I agree. But I do want to get to Lisa's funny. album, though. But go ahead, Lisa, make this last point, and I want to get to your new comedy album. Uh, I was just going to say, yeah, it's funny, um, Dee, because yeah, I've heard some people saying, like, well, what are you talking about? Like, you have so many more rights as a woman here in the United States and other countries. Why don't you just be grateful for what you have? Which is just the dumbest <laughs> argument. Like, it's almost funny to me. It's like, oh, yeah, like, that woman over there is tortured. So it's fine if she's only raped over here. Like, I mean, what do you mean? Like, what are you talking about? Just because yeah. one set of people struggle doesn't mean that, you know, everything is tested based on that, the worst case scenario. It's just, I don't know. 
people yeah, are we're stupid. skidding into the ditch. Yes, people are stupid. That's what we should name this episode. People are stupid. <laughs> and, you know, in the first half, I was talking about how we've been downgraded from a full democracy to a flawed democracy, along with being our credit, national credit, le- our world credit limit or world credit standing being downgraded. And for the first time since they've been tracking it, the national average lifespan has gone down. And I just feel like we're skidding into a ditch here. And a lot of people mm-hmm. still just don't care. They just want to write it off as I want what I want when I want it. So I just don't care. Yeah. Yeah, it's laziness and lack of compassion, I suppose. You nailed it, Lisa. All right, let's talk about Brain Bank. Um, I listened to it. the album, love the album. Why? Oh, thanks. Yeah, it was amazing. Fern listened to it as well. I don't think, Dee, you didn't have a chance to listen to it. No, I've been listening to bits and pieces, but I haven't been able to actually do much of anything for more than like five minutes. Yeah, you're always (laughs) running frantic. Um, Let me ask you what I would ask anybody who puts their first album out. Why now? Did it take you this long to get material you were happy with? Or was this like, man, I've got to do this now. I've been out here for four years kind of busting my ass. Why now is the time you decided to release this album? Uh, honestly, it was just because I was sort of sick of that material and I was ready to, you know, work on my next hour. And I had, you know, I don't know if I think a lot of comedians are like this. A lot of my friends are like this, but once you sort of get sick of telling certain jokes, you sort of lose confidence in that, in thinking that they're funny anymore. And so I knew that, you know, as I started working on my new hour, I sort of stopped having confidence in my old hour and I was like, all right, well, let me record, let me, let me uh, record this. That way I could put it out. It could be done. I could retire it and start focusing on my next, you know, chunk of stuff. So it was more just like ready, ready to start the new thing and wanting to sort of immortalize what I had, you know, worked on the last few years and just sort of get it done. Do you um, feel like when you're out doing comedy, I, I, I can't believe I never asked a comedian this. When you're out there doing comedy, do you feel like you're doing it all so you can at, at one point do a Netflix special or do a comedy album? Or do you not think like that long term? Do you just write the jokes and do the performances? Are you thinking long term, hey, I'm going to have a special one day called this, so let me write all this stuff? Um, you know, I don't really, I mean, obviously, like, in the back of my brain, I, I always, like, you know, think about one day, hopefully, I'll be able to, you know, do this as a special or an album. But if anything, it's just wanting to talk about what I want to talk about at that given time. And then when it's done, it's done. And then it's like, oh, where do I go from here? You know, you sort of go on the road and you develop your act and, you know, throughout your performances you pepper in new jokes and new jokes and after a while that hour you started out with on the road becomes a whole nother hour Wow! and you just sort of want to take what that original hour was and, and give it the credit it deserves by just giving it its platform so that way then you can just like hang up your cleats with it and continue working on your other stuff without worrying about forgetting the other hour or losing confidence that it's not funny anymore well, you know, there was so much on your album I related to. I related to the thing about the piano because you do that bit about, you know, how are piano, how are people who sell pianos, how are they staying in business? And, you know, in our town, I used to always see like a wig shop. 
and nobody would ever be in it. Or I would see like a shoe repair shop. And I was like, dude, this has to be a fucking mafia front. I've never seen anybody go in or out of this store. How is this shoe repair shop? Who is going to get their shoes repaired? I don't understand. I don't understand the capital effect like of the marketing of this there's no I am like I've never seen an mm-hmm. ad for a shoe like come to Dick shoe repair we'll fix you like I don't understand yeah. and that's why that bit really resonated with me Yeah also who's repairing shoes you just buy new shoes I don't understand Yeah it's it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's like absurd. oh man I really got to I got to tinker out this old Mikey <laughs> I don't understand Yeah it's got to be mobbed up right that's the only explanation <laughs> I think so. I don't know. But yeah, that was always, that's always what made me laugh whenever I passed that piano store. I was just like, how are they still in business? Like who's buying pianos? But yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm and totally... it was brilliant. Cause you're like, even if you get lucky and somebody buys one piano, that's a lifetime purchase. You're not like, Oh, give me three more to offset like the <laughs> coffee table. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like if you're, if he's finally going to sell a piano, like he's only going to sell one, <laughs> like no one's going to be like, Oh, do you have another one to set off the living room? Like I need another one for the bedroom. Yeah. I, I, I don't, it always struck me as hilarious. Yeah. And the other one that really struck me was the, talking about being pulled over and a cell phone and everything and getting to court. The part about you getting into court and arguing with the cop, you know, last time you were on the show, we talked about the making of a murderer and that uh-huh. like that got stuck in my head, and I was like, "This is why fucking Lisa would never get railroaded like that kid in a making it a murderer." She would talk this guy <laughs> down in the circles like that. I just <laughs> thought that was amazing. That's actually probably my favorite track on that whole album. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, I was real. I was real proud of that one. Also, because with comedy, sometimes the best your best jokes come from the thing that really frustrate frustrated you the most or got you the most angry. When I got that ticket, I was just struggling financially. I was having like a bad day. I was trying to balance like my day job and comedy. And it was just t- just a tough time. And when I got that ticket, it really fucked up my budget like for the month because it was like an insanely expensive ticket. And I was so angry. And I was at home and I was fuming. And I called my dad because he's a lawyer. And right. I was like, well, can I, can I kill this guy? <laughs> like, what can I do? What legal action do I have? And he made some sort of joke about how, like, uh, you know, I could technically, you know, counter argue with him in court and stuff. And to me, that just it just struck me as so funny. And that's what I love about comedy or anything that's sort of like art, like painting or music is like you can really take something that really like makes you angry and turn it into something that you're really proud of. So I, I have like a special place in my heart for that bit just because I was really pissed off and then it turned into my favorite joke for a really long time yeah and it's like um it's all about context right fern i mean lisa tells a joke about this interaction with the cop and how you know she was totally innocent and the cop was kind of bullying her and if she tells that joke it's very different than if a political comedian told that joke and they'd be like oh you're just a libtard oh you hate cops because i mean people have called (laughs) you cop hater before fern yeah, they've called me a cop hater, even though, like, I support the police. Like, I still think there's, I think there's some problems that need to be fixed. And I look at the Black Lives Matter movement as totally legitimate and not just saying, hey, we're over here and we're the only ones who matter, so you can go screw yourselves. 
Like, I, it's a legitimate problem, but I have a lot of family members that were police officers. My uncle was the chief of police in Augusta, Maine. My cousins are police officers. Like, I love the police. I admire what they do. I have friends, in, uh, my friend in Oklahoma who's a police officer. One of the last people, by the way, I thought would ever be a cop. But that's a whole other mm-hmm. story. But even mm-hmm. even on your, like, in your olive incident bit, like, that had a little bit of a political undertone or a, a you know, <laughs> a little tiny bit. That was my uh-huh. absolute favorite bit. Oh, I literally <laughs> was, like, gut-busting, laughing. And I was telling my friends, I was like, you got to check this girl out. you got to check her out. She's so <laughs> funny. That was absolutely hysterical. But, yeah, a, pol- a political comedian can sometimes twist it and piss people off. So... Maybe just having that little bit of undertone, like with the Olive incident, is it, it might reach more people. But comedy's a, a good outlet. It's I love it, and I love what you do. But that's interesting, though, right? Because my favorite bit is the last track about the cops. Yours is the Olive incident. Do you ever really know, Lisa, when you're writing what's going to hit? Or do you have to just kind of go out there and throw it all out to the audience and see what the reaction is? I mean, I guess my sort of philosophy and this is different like a lot of comedians will write jokes to to make an audience laugh but I sort of write jokes to make myself laugh like if that makes sense which might be a little bit selfish I guess but if something makes me laugh and I just genuinely have joy thinking about it and it really like tickles me then I'm like this is funny and I'm gonna make it work and of course like you know you test on an audience and if they're just not laughing you know which happens a lot you have to tweak it because it's not about finding something that's funny. It's For me, it's more about getting the audience to understand why it's funny. Not, I hope they think this is funny. It's like, oh, I know this is funny. It makes me laugh. So now I just have to sort of tweak it and create a thesis so that they can understand why it's funny. Let me ask you a totally random thing that has nothing to really do with anything. This is just a curiosity. This is what I get to do when I have people on a show. I get to fulfill my little odd curiosities. I saw you do a party, like an outside party, and you were doing a lot of bits about, oh, this area looks like my apartment, blah, blah, blah. Are you writing that stuff on the fly, or do you kind of know what you're going into and you have a little bit of time to prepare? Because I was really impressed by that. Um, honestly, a lot – a pe- like I don't think much <laughs> so I just kind of let it fly out of my mouth because to me that's like when you're the most vulnerable and when you're the most honest is when you're not censoring yourself and I just I don't really have a trap door I just sort of as soon as I think of something I say it wow. so sometimes yeah when I do like um you know uh not you know, comedy venue shows. And yeah, I've done like backyard shows, patio shows, weird shows in a tent. Like it's just fun sometimes to just play around and be in the moment. And I think that's like a good challenge for anybody. Like, even if you're not a comedian, like if you're just sort of like, you know, having a conversation with somebody at a party and you're just talking just, you know, fluidly and you're not really, you know, thinking or anticipating, it's just fun to just be in the moment. So sometimes I, I love doing shows that aren't, you know, at comedy venues, because then I have the opportunity to really be in the moment and just connect with an audience because they're experiencing things for the first time that I'm experiencing for the first time. Whereas jokes, it's like, you know, you're tweaking those, you're working on those, those have been honed and crafted and could for possibly like over a year. Whereas you don't really have the opportunity to just be completely present in the moment. 
Well, I know you do um, one bit where you're talking about wanting to pee to stand, uh, wanting to pee standing up. And it's funny, we had Fern on our drinking show not long ago, and she was actually using a shiwi while we were on air, right, Fern? <laughs> yeah. See, what, here's what I wanted to do. I wanted to level the playing field because I, I had to wonder, like, when I go on air with Friday Night Drunk and Trivia, I'm like, well, how am I going to pee, man? Like, we're answering questions <laughs> left and right. It's an hour. I'm drinking like a fish. How am I going to pee? So I was like, screw it. I'll get a shoey and I'll level the playing field because Nick's a dude. Like, it's easy for him. I'll make it easy for me. Not as easy as it sounds, by the way. And very uncomfortable. But the genius about your comedy, and this is what I think separates you from a lot of other people, is and you said something very important. You don't try to think about how to make it funny. You think about how to get people to track with you. Like, I've been that person at a party who's just been in the moment and had no filter, which I do have a filter sometimes. The more I drink, the less I have. But I've made a joke, <laughs> and then everybody just stares at you, and they're like, what are you talking about? And to me, in my head, I'm dying. Like, I think this is the funniest thing ever. But to everybody else, it's like, mm. So the genius is making them follow that train of thought and go down that rabbit hole with you, which I think is why you come across so funny because it doesn't feel forced. It doesn't feel like, how am I trying to make this joke funny? You just totally go through the thought process, and it's great. It's absolutely great. Oh, thanks. Well, now I can quit. <laughs> That's all I need. Oh, Good night, everyone. <laughs> no, but I, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. <laughs> so let me, we got a couple minutes left. Let me ask you this. Do you like, let's talk about Longview again, because I watched a funny and die video and I think it was a comedy central thing you were in. Do you have a long range plan? Like you want to go into comedy on TV and stuff like that? Or do you just want to be a touring comedian? Like, do you have a long view or are you just kind of flying by the seat of your pants and doing what feels right and just kind of living life to the fullest in that aspect? Uh, I think I did that for a long time, just sort of seeing what would happen. I've been doing comedy almost nine years now. So it's sort of after a little bit of time, it's like, oh, I need, I need to eat now. <laughs> like I have to sort of develop a plan. For the last few years, I've been a little bit more strategic, and I've, I started to write a lot more. I just sold my first pilot, so I've wow. been working on, on that with a studio, which has been pretty exciting. So I think, like, ultimately, I want to sort of, and it kind of sounds sort of, like, hacky to say it, but I kind of want to take that Louis C.K. route where, you know, I can still do stand-up. I'd like to fill theaters one day, but ultimately, it's about stand-up is about finding your audience. It's like you want to find the people who want to come see you who would fill up that theater. And so the best way for me at this time to do it, I think, is to sort of stretch to different mediums. So if I can get my show on the air and sell it to a network and people like my, you know, half-hour sitcom and they like that, then it's like, oh, those are the people that would probably see me live if I go to their city. So I'm definitely about the pilot can you say anything about it or is it kind of under wraps yeah i'm not allowed to say much about it yet but i think an announcement's going to be made soon and then i probably won't shut up about it because i'm so excited (laughs) but yeah for now i'm not allowed to get too specific but i definitely am trying to sort of you know reach different avenues and i think right now tv is is a huge goal and you know hopefully you know even when you sell a pilot you still have to go through a lot of hoops to get it on tv so i'm still not anywhere you know close to it being on the air but i'm on the path and that's exciting and so yeah i think like it's all but it all goes back to stand up for me 
like it's all a way to sort of get people to know who I am so that they could see me. Cause that's the goal. Like it's just so that you're performing in front of people who are there to see you. And that to me is like the highest milestone I could possibly go for. Like if I could fill a theater of people who are all there because they like my comedy and they'll go with me on my weird labyrinth of the joke, then I'll feel like I accomplished everything I could accomplish. But that's kind of amazing when you talk about you've been doing this for nine years and you still like probably aren't eking out a living at it. Like, do you what what is your resolve like? Like after nine years, do you go through periods of, hey, maybe it's time for me to go do something else? Or have you always just been single focused? No, this is going to be comedy and it will pay off. Um, well, I've had, yeah, I mean, that's sort of what, what my mindset has been for a long time. It's like you have to have confidence to the point of delusion <laughs> to a certain degree or you have to be like, oh, it's not about if I make it, it's about when, you know, you have to have that sort of like. Yeah, I totally mindset. agree with that. So that's like, yeah, that's the only way you can have the nerve to go up and risk everything every night to do something that makes you happy. But you have to sort of remind yourself, like, well, it's worth it. Like, I'm fighting for something that I really strongly believe in. And I could have everything I ever wanted if I just, you know, slug it out. So that's like one side of the coin. And then the other side of the coin is, of course, you get into like, am I good enough? (laughs) And you just sort of, you know, sometimes that confidence can be shattered a little bit because with stand up is like the most humbling thing you could possibly do. Like you can go up and absolutely annihilate and have a great show and feel like you're on top of the world and do a show with like Maria Bamford, uh, Louis CK, Todd Berry and have a scent just as good as theirs. And you're like, Oh fuck yeah. Like I'm doing this. And then like the next night you do a show and you bomb horrifically. <laughs> and it's just like with the same jokes. So it's like a very humbling experience, but you definitely have to believe that you're good enough. Otherwise, you won't have the courage to keep doing it. Man, and I, yeah, I know, because Fern always says, like, it just takes that one thing to hit. And it reminds me, I was watching, like, this VH1 Storytellers or something on Kid Rock, and he made it fairly mm-hmm. late. Like, he was, like, late 20s, early 30s before his music hit. And he was like, mm-hmm. yeah, I was going to quit. And I was like, I'm just going to do this one last thing. And then I'm out. I'm done. You know? And you just look, like, yeah. if he had actually quit and not done that one thing that launched him, he'd be working at a fucking car wash right now, never knowing. Yeah. And the success he would have had, but he toughed it out and he said, well, let me do this one more thing. And, and you could put everything else b- behind you. That's the thing that hit. And it, that's all it takes. And I'm a big proponent. I'm a big believer in that. Like, don't just oh, stop because you could be stopping one step before you make it. Absolutely. And that's, you know, that goes to anything anyone is trying to do, you know, whether it's a comedian or an artist or musician or even, you know, like, you know, a lawyer, it's a, it's a marathon. Things aren't going to happen immediately. And you don't want things to happen immediately because if they do, you're going to get, you're going to get known before you're ready to be known. Like that was always my, my thing that sort of consoled me when I was struggling or feeling like I wasn't getting opportunities that I thought I deserved. It's like, Oh, well, I didn't get it this year. You know what? I'll get it next year and I'll be that much better. And I'll be so much happier that it happened then when I was better and stronger at what I do. So you just have to, you know, you have to be rational about it. And, you know, you can't be like, to me, the whole idea of doing this is what's irrational. So everything else I have to do has to be rational. <laughs> like, that's the way I 
sort of think about it. It's like the, the big goal is so crazy. So everything leading up to the big crazy goal has to be as pragmatic as possible. Wow. Yeah, that's perfect. All right. We got to get out of here. Fern, you want to have the last word since all I ever do is talk and talk and talk? Dude, I just, you know, with the, the variety of people that we talk to, like, I just love to see that everybody is following their passion, right? Like, you find something that makes you happy, you find something that you want to do, something that you feel that you can affect change with, you know, even if it's small, big, it doesn't matter, just following that passion, and it's really awesome that you have done that, and you've done it in such a way that it, it translates really, really well. Um, I really enjoy your comedy. I, I can't say the same thing about every single comedian that I see on the Internet. You know, you really... <laughs> You really hit and you really resonate and you're funny. So, yeah, just follow your passion, everybody, and do what Lisa oh, does, man. We're so positive <laughs> on Kettle of Fish. Kettle of Fish is our no politics laughter show. <laughs> oh, man. Well, thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. And, yeah, like um, try, I'm trying hard for, for people. I'm really proud of that album, and I'm trying real hard to get people – aware of it so if um if anybody listens to it that likes it you know feel free to rate it on itunes and and say that you liked it just so more people well tell everybody where we can find you and where they can get the album from besides itunes because i've seen it in multiple Um, places yeah i think like there's so many different places so i sort of streamlined it on my website so if you go to lisabestcomedy.com and you click on the buy my album, it'll have the link to Spotify, to Google Play, to iTunes, to Amazon, like all the places that you can get it will be right on my website that you can click and do it. Nice. You got a Twitter and Facebook everyone could check you out at? Instagram, yeah, all that I'm, good stuff. Yeah, I'm uh, Lisa Best on Facebook, and I think I'm Lisa Best Comic on Twitter and Lisa Best on Instagram, I think. I think you just type in Lisa Best and my dumb face will pop up. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, Lisa, thank you so much for coming on. Um, keep in touch. I want to have you back if that pilot hits and talk about it. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. All righty. We will be off for two weeks, and then we will be back with Fiona Durif. I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly, from Dirk Gently, correct? Yeah, that's her. You sounded like you were just, like, waking up or something out in a cave. No, I, I thought about doing the impression, and then I was like, no. Yeah, yeah, you don't want to do overkill. All righty, guys. Thank you so much for listening to our episodes today. Um, this was a great way to end before our break, right, Fern? Oh, absolutely. I had such a blast today. It's ridiculous. Just ridiculous cloud nine. I hope everybody has as good a day as we've had. All righty. Goodbye, everybody. I, Dee, I know you've got a fun song to go out with since we had a fun comedian on, right? Yes. All righty, so hit it, and good night, everyone. Get my body in chocolate frosting. Three years later, I shot the frosting. Smelling like a blossom. Everything is awesome. Stepped in mud, got new brown shoes. Sauce from the wind, and it's sauce from the loom. Sauce from the loom. Everything is awesome. Everything is cool when you're part of the team. Everything is awesome.
Everything is awesome.